0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 599 for release on Sunday, August sixteenth, two 2020. In WaveScan today the most important American radio station in the South Pacific during World War II. And we'll have part three of our presentation by Rudy Espinel of Radio Clarine in the Dominican Republic. Back during the Pacific War in the middle of last century, American forces installed shortwave radio equipment at the direction of General Douglas and MacArthur in five different locations in the areas around the city of Brisbane in Queensland, Australia. Here's Ray Robinson with the most important American radio station in the South Pacific during World War II.
1: Thanks, Jeff. In our programme last week, we presented the story of three of these interconnected shortwave radio facilities. First, there was the AMP building in Brisbane, which was a major communication centre for station WVJJ, later WTO. There was Somerville House in South Brisbane, which was a secondary station with one transmitter and one receiver. And then there was the golf course over at Redland Bay, which also was a secondary station with one transmitter. In our programme today, we present the story of the two primary shortwave stations the Americans installed near Brisbane, a transmitter station and a receiver station. These two units form the largest and most important of all of the American communication radio stations established throughout the South Pacific arena in the middle of the last century. We examine first the record of the transmitter station that was established near Hemant, just 10 miles east of downtown Brisbane. Early in the year 1942, American Signal Corps personnel took over a large tract of swampy, vacant farmland at 180 Youngs Road, near Hemant, on which a solidly built, thick-walled, T-shaped brick building was constructed. This tidal swampy site right on the coast was specifically chosen to enhance the transmission of shortwave signals, though the new transmitter building itself was constructed on short, brick-stilted pylons above any possible danger of flooding. A total of five rhombic antennas were constructed, and they spanned the swampy areas on both sides of Young's Road. Each three-wire rhombic antenna was supported on wooden poles standing 100 feet tall. These diamond-shaped antenna systems provided radio coverage within Australia and to the scattered Pacific Islands and also to Hawaii and California as well as to Asia. In addition to the main transmitter building, an additional smaller building housed a 250 kilowatt diesel power generator due to the fact that no locally generated electrical power was available in the Hemant area. Their first power generator was built by Buckeye in Lima, Ohio. Over a period of time, several different shortwave transmitters were installed at the American Army communications station in Hemant, including an Australian-made 10kW AWA unit for the communication circuit to Hawaii, and an American-made 40kW PWI transmitter for the circuit to New Delhi in India and to California in the United States. Contact with the MacArthur Communication Building in the basement of the AMP building in Brisbane was provided by an above-ground wire circuit 30 miles long. The Hemant Transmitter Station was taken into service towards the end of the year 1942, and it provided widespread communication with American bases throughout the Pacific and Asia. In addition, this station provided communication circuits for wartime news dispatches from forward areas back to the news media in the United States and elsewhere. Additionally, in December 1943, the Hemant station began the regular daily transmission of time signals at 7 and 11 a.m. and 7 and 11 p.m. A new antenna system was installed for this particular purpose. These time signals were provided by two transmitters, the 1kW American-made Federal and the Australian-made 10kW AWA unit, and they were broadcast, surprisingly, on exactly 5, 10 and 15 MHz. Back in those days, the well-known WWV was located too far away, in Washington DC, and the Australian VNG was not yet on the air. American personnel needed an accurate time signal service back then, much closer, in the Pacific arena. When the American armed forces moved up north towards Japan in 1944 and 1945, they simply abandoned their most important radio transmitter station in the South Pacific, Hemant, and left it as it was. The equally important receiver station was located at Kapalaba, 12 miles southeast of Brisbane and 10 miles south of the Hemant Transmitter Station. The land was owned at the time by the Cotton family and it was commandeered by the American forces in 1942. In earlier times this land had been known as the Willard's Old Property. The main building for the receiver station at Capalaba was similar to the main building at the Hemant Transmitter Station. The original receivers installed at Capalaba were four American-made Wilcox model CW3D units, and they were initially capable of receiving teletype and Morse code, with speech capability being enabled later. There was also a landline connection with the MacArthur Communications Centre in the AMP building in Brisbane, as well as to the transmitter facility at Hemant. The original receiving antennas were small and simple in design, though three diamond-shaped rhombics were installed subsequently. The Kapalaba Receiver Station was taken into service towards the end of the year 1942, and it received from the same Pacific and Asian areas as covered by the transmitter station. Likewise, when the American Armed Forces moved up north towards Japan in 1944 and 1945, they simply abandoned their most important radio receiver station in the South Pacific, Kapalaba, and left it as it was. But that's not the end of the story. Very little is known, even in Australia, as to what happened to these two important radio stations. And that will be the story here in Wavescan three weeks from now. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Santiago San Gil in Barinas, Venezuela, sends us this information of special interest to our Spanish-speaking WaveScan listeners, and we know there are a lot of you. Si deseas formar parte del Grupo Radio frecuencia en WhatsApp, que agrupa a diexistas y radioscuchas de todo el mundo, solicita su ingreso al colega Jorge García Drangel en Barines, Venezuela, al número 424 Dos 58-424-5353-021. Plus 58-424-5353-021 para que agregue tu número telefónico y puedas entrar en contacto directo con quienes practicamos con pasión el hobby del DX. And now in English, if you want to join the Radio Frecuencia group on WhatsApp, which is a group for Spanish-speaking DXers and radio listeners around the world, just send a request to Jorge Garcia Rangel in Barinas, Venezuela, at the WhatsApp number plus 58 424 5353 021. That's plus 58 424 5353 021. To add your number, and then you can get in touch with all of those other passionate DXers out there. Last week, we brought you part two of Rudy Espinal's keynote speech at the 1979 Anarch Radio Convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Rudy was the charismatic host of the This is Santo Domingo program on Radio Clarine's shortwave service back in the 1970s and 80s on 11700 kilohertz. Last week, Rudy explained that he had early radio experience at local radio stations in Santo Domingo. And because his father was a Dominican diplomat, and then later Rudy worked in international media, he had a chance to live in various countries around the Caribbean, South America,
2: and Europe. Um, Then I came back in Santo Domingo by 1973, uh, 1975, when I quit my last job and went on my own, which was a tremendous fiasco as a movie uh, seller. So uh, I got back into radio. And uh, uh, not directly to radio, in 1975, I was uh, host to a television cast of a, a local or an international beauty pageant called the Miss Amber uh, pageant. Amber is the local stone, which you probably have heard in my program, um, and uh, the pageant was Miss, uh, Miss Amber pageant. Uh, from there, I uh, was contracted to host the Miss Universe pageant for the Spanish speaking uh, uh, audience. Um, uh, I made I was a TV host for the Oscars uh, presentation for several uh, years uh, on Radio Televisión Dominicana, um, translator and host of of the program. And in uh, 1976, by mid 1976, I got. Uh, by the way, my my association with those uh, beauty pageants started my wife to have uh, some uh, started uh, some jealousy in my wife. I was being identified as the uh, gentleman of the nice uh, girls, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I had one advantage about uh, above many people that. Uh, knowing so many languages, I could interview all of the girls, or practically all of the girls. And I uh, happened to make a make-believe of speaking Japanese, which was... uh the outmost people said he speaks even Japanese that's yeah. impossible but that was uh, a makeup. I mean uh, I sat down with the girl from uh, Japan and said uh, look I'm just going to make believe that I speak Japanese I'm going to tell you this and this and this and this and uh, what will you reply to me so the translator said uh, well she will reply this and this and this and this I said, okay beautiful so I asked the question and the girl answered and I said well she just said that she was very happy to be in San <laughs> <in> Antonio <America." laughs> and uh, and." <laughs> That was a, a tremendous stunt. So I started. Uh, I was directing the uh, Foreign Service or the uh, Shortwave Service for uh, Radio Clarence. That was my first contact with the World Radio TV Handbook, uh, which I uh, happened to have ever since in my hand. And uh, um, uh, from there, I got my first contact with uh, propagation and what the best frequencies were and what uh, the best. Uh, Uh, tuning-in times were for the different parts of the world, and since we were aiming to the Dominican uh, citizens living abroad, and especially the 400,000 Dominicans living in New York, um, uh, I started studying all those things, so I uh, made up the programming uh, according to what I was able to uh, find out from this book. So I went down and uh, presented the programming, uh, presented the uh, presentation recordings, and so on. They liked it. They uh, contracted me as uh, the director for the shortwave service. So uh, that started. It started with uh, the only uh, is Santo Domingo program that had a script was the first program. Um, uh, No other program ever had a script. From there on, I uh, just uh, came in at, at times uh, 30 seconds just before the program, and at times even 30 seconds after the program ha- had to start. <coughs> the uh, technician was very well trained, and uh, uh, by the time uh, I should have been on the air, he would put on the presentation, which was recorded. Uh, here the uh, hello there, this is Rudy Espinal, and that would go on, and then after that he would shoot off with a, a musical piece, you know, I wasn't there, what could he do? So, uh, record playing there, and uh, Rudy would come in, <laughs> Hi, how is everybody? So, and that, that happened uh, quite sometimes. I had to do so many things at the time that uh, I found uh, uh, the time was really catching on me. I was directing the uh, foreign service or the uh, shortwave service for uh, Radio Clarin and I had my own uh, uh, advertising agency which I um, developed and I still developing that, uh, that uh, part of my profession. Um, so Radio Clarin went on the air whenever it was on the air, um, uh, having uh, transmitter uh, problems, uh, blackout problems, so we were on and off, and uh, uh, people started writing in, especially to the English broadcast. We had some, uh, some good response, I would say, to the uh, Spanish uh, broadcast, <clears throat> sorry, not as much as uh, for the English, and, uh, well, I celebrated my 10th letter with a, with a great party. Uh, it was an event. We got 10 letters from uh, listeners abroad. Uh, out of the ten maybe seven could have been from the United States and uh, we started developing that program Uh, I got uh, so much out of it I enjoyed it very much Uh, I think I enjoyed it more than you enjoyed listening to it probably Um, uh, and suddenly after a couple of months of being or not being on the air I started getting quite a, an amount of correspondence in. It came up to 60, went up to 100, went to 120, and we were getting very excited about it. went over to 150, to 200, 260 letters, even got to 300 letters a week at one time. And uh, definitely that was, uh, there was no way I could cope with uh, replying to that correspondence. I should feel very ashamed of talking to you people because I've been promising QSL cards and pennants all my life, all, through the, all throughout the program. And I, would, uh, and I was very surprised to uh, come down here and, I, and hear people say, I received your QSL card. I said, somebody did.
1: <laughs>
2: we had quite a fight uh, for the QSL card and for the pennant. Um, uh, Nobody knows what shortwave listening is all about. Uh, I didn't have too much experience on it. With the time and with all the correspondence that I got and with the uh, bulletins that I got, I got more involved in shortwave listening and I uh, got more uh, on the other side of of the microphone and uh, felt what uh, the people were feeling and what uh, the importance of a QSL card and the importance of a a pennant. So I started uh, fighting my way with management uh, in Radio Clarin to have those things done until uh, I got it done uh, probably three or four months just before I left. And uh, luckily enough, uh, some of those QSL cards went out. I never know if uh, they uh, ever made a a, a pennant, ever. if they are, probably when I get back somewhere uh, someday I'll uh, just start looking through the old files and sending, que- uh, sending pennants. Uh, two or three years delay, but they'll get there. They'll get there. No worries. <laughs> they'll get there. So uh, after sometime, uh, almost two years, uh, well, after one year I got also involved with the AM transmission. The uh, director for the AM tra- uh, broadcasting uh, resigned and uh, I took over uh, his job so I was directing the station I couldn't uh, afford spending more time out of the uh, uh, of the station and I actually spent more than 16 hours down at the uh, at Radio Clarin uh, with a local broadcast with the uh, shortwave broadcast and I enjoyed it very much I was making less money though but uh, I enjoyed it um, uh, it came up to the point where uh, politics got really involved in the whole thing. And uh, this station was owned or is owned by a general of the uh, Dominican Armed Forces. At that time, he was the chief of the police and he was the, uh, the, one of the strong men of the army. There were two strong men in the army. He was one of them. And uh, he was very uh, uh, Balaguer inclined. So uh, everything the station had to do was pro-Balaguer. Even uh, so, I never got involved and I never got any pressure from management to uh, uh, whatever I was doing on shortwave to be pro-Balaguer and uh, I really appreciated that and that was the only condition I could have worked uh, without any uh, uh, coaction. But uh, the time came when uh, uh, elections came in, Balaguer lost the elections. The station wasn't uh, paying taxes, it wasn't paying electricity. It had a lot of privileges, which it lost with the loss of the government. So uh, um, the people, management sat down with me and said, well, uh, what are we going to do? I said, well, as uh, long as you can keep up the shortwave programming, uh, I can find some financial aid which I had already uh, provided for. And uh, as long as I can maintain my independence, I'll continue with the shortwave uh, programming. And then they said, no, uh, this uh, radio station is uh, of very uh, much of importance to us and to the Balaguer uh, people, and I don't think we'll be able to keep our independence. Uh, We'll have to be very much Balaguer inclined. So I said, uh, well, I decline. And... uh, We worked out an arrangement so that I could uh, withdraw from uh, broadcasting from Radio Clarin and they would do whatever they wanted to do. They kept on the shortwave uh, programming for some time without my English program and then suddenly quit. I don't know what the latest on it is. I think it's once in a while in the air for the general who's uh, uh, assigned in Washington to hear the local news and then signs off. that probably would be the only uh, shortwave experience of radio clearing at this time. Radio Televisión Dominicana is uh, paying quite some attention to shortwave and uh, their 95, <coughs> sorry, 9505 uh, megahertz uh, uh, transmitter has been steadily on the, on the air, so I heard. So while that was good news for me because uh, if they maintain the signal on the air Um, even if they switch or they don't switch I might just get back there and uh, record uh, this is San Domingo in Caracas and then ship it to San Domingo and have it aired once a week or something like that and I would really enjoy that because I won't be losing contact with you people Um, in Caracas uh, under a suggestion of uh, uh, our good friend Glenn Hauser um, we have made initial contact with Radio Nacional. Of uh, Caracas and I think I have 50 uh, 50 chance of uh, getting into uh, Radio National with a local program uh, still I don't know what I would be doing uh, just getting the okay first and then go uh, on the air after maybe two minutes after I start my first program I decide what I'm going to do I don't know <laughs> uh, uh, that's that would be uh, very nice because then I will be able to uh, well reciprocate Um, this feeling that I have been able to uh, gather here that's a real warm feeling of uh, a real personal contact that I have had uh, with you people uh, in this uh, two years of uh, international broadcasting. The feedback that I've had in this convention is uh, uh, for me it's worth gold and diamonds uh, and emeralds and everything put together because it's again it really uh, waked up the bug that's running through my blood um, to maintain myself to keep my uh, myself on in shortwave and keep that real nice uh, uh, warm personal contact with you people and uh, maybe attend a couple of other anarch conventions uh, i would say that's the uh, end of my um, announcer's career up uh, to this moment looking forward to uh, Many many years of broadcasting, and I hope of those many many years that I'll be on on shortwave. Um, uh, before ending, I would uh, like to thank uh, those uh, club members. That and that uh, choke in my uh, throat is coming back. I don't know, uh, just uh, feeling that uh, I've been uh, given too much, too much of uh, much more than uh, I really deserve. I don't know how you could uh, praise a guy who's doing what he likes. Uh, It's something really, uh, like uh, Ian was saying, uh, he really enjoys what he's doing and he's being paid for it. And uh, I was paid for what I was doing and now I'm being uh, credited for it. I'm being mentioned in a a university thesis of uh, all things in the world. I never believed that that uh, start in 1976 on a station that was on and off in the air could go as far as uh, tonight. I would like to thank all those club members that uh, uh, seconded the proposition of the Minnesota <laughs> DX Club of uh, giving me this uh, fantastic, uh, uh, invaluable, uh, uncalculable of, of incalculable value award, which I will uh, keep on. Uh, next to me if i could wear it and put it on my jacket like that you know yeah. i would do it <laughs> because i'm uh, uh, i'm one of the proudest men in the world uh right now uh thank you thank uh you uh, shortwave listeners for the feedback that you have been uh, giving me over the years and for that uh, real warm feeling thank you uh-huh.
0: That was Rudy Espinal of Radio Clarine's shortwave service on 11.7 megahertz in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, back in the 1970s and 1980s. He was speaking about his life experience in radio and media at the 1979 convention of Anarch, the Association of North American Radio Clubs in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thanks to Tom Gavaris for sending us that recording. Well, normally on the third Sunday of the month, we have a report from Salhuddin Dular in Bangladesh, his DX report. However, he sends us a note telling us that he is ill at the moment, so we wish him a very quick recovery. But in honor of him, we are going to play some Bangladeshi folk music to end the program today. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week on WaveScan, the city of Indianapolis celebrates its 200th anniversary. We'll talk about shortwave station WHRI. Also our ancient DX report for 1922 and our Australian DX report from Bob Padula. Several QSL cards are available for WaveScan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for the program to the AWR address in Bangkok that we'll give you in a moment and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember... Too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in Wavescan. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSLs is Adventist World Radio. P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P R A K A N O N G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, that's Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, other than reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.